Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given and a huge week in cricket as it so often is. India was saved by the rain in the first test against England. They avoided an absolute spanking at the hands of the mighty England and they can be blessing their lucky stars after the rain came and saved them. Stephen Finn was in some sort of action in the 100 and also on this week, many years ago, back in 2005, it was the incredible Edgebaston test and we'll talk about all of that and some more nonsense I'm sure over the next 40 minutes or so um we'll come to India and England in a sec but yeah Stephen Finn was also saved by the rain this week as his game for Manchester Originals in the 100 it started raining and he didn't have to bowl at Quinton de Kock or James Vince once again Stephen Finn continues to steal a living in this tournament uh Finney you must have been delighted you must have been doing a rain dance in the changing room when you saw Quinton de Kock and James Vince on the team sheet uh, no, I see it as an opportunity to test myself against the best. So, um, so when it rained, I actually shed a tear in the dressing room. Um, yeah, it's something that I like to pit myself against the, against the world's best, as I'm sure you guys do as well in your fields. Um, and the rain got in the way of that, unfortunately. Okay, well, Quinton the Cock and James Vince were livid when they saw the rain came down, when they saw Stephen Finn in the warm-up. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to the 100 a bit later on. Now, Daniel Norcross, I mean, what a man. I, I sit here on Zoom every week and I look at him and before we start recording, I watch him uh, take a huge drag from a cigarette and then in the other hand, produce an inhaler. <laughs> if you were to sum up Daniel Norcross <laughs> as a human, he literally took one drag from a cigarette, had a bit of a cough, picked up an inhaler, took a huge inhale from that and then put the cigarette back in his mouth. Daniel, how are you, mate? Well, you're a bit, you know, tired emotional and dying as I always seem to be every week but I've had a wonderful week actually I've had a wonderful week because I've been to a test match and I as you know love all cricket all forms of cricket wherever I see it absolutely adore it but geez to be at Trent Bridge this week to have crowds back to be getting it was a good test as well there was so much happening there were so many brilliant things which we'll talk about 
but it was just a lovely atmosphere. It was really great to get back into the rhythms of the thing that I probably, if I'm honest, like the best. And I bumped into our uh, super fan, uh, by which I mean our fan. I yes, mean, the well, person who listens. <laughs> uh, Mark, Mark, by the way, I'll tell you his name. Mark Beecroft Stretton. Oh, yeah. He, 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 yeah, he walked up to me and he has, he, he has wonderful facial hair, um, incredible pair of braces, mm-hmm. looks very Bertie Worcester-ish, but, but hipster Bertie Worcester. Do you know okay. what I mean? Wonderful sort of like flannels. They were kind of like mustardy colors. I mean, his sartorial elegance was a thing to behold. I was genuinely jealous of his uh, clothing choices. You know, as you know, my wife, Catherine, sends me off with a little spreadsheet of what to wear each week. And I thought, you know, we've been together 25 years. You've never, you've never packed the braces and the crazy mustard colour stuff mm. and, you know, sculpted my beard. Uh, he, he was, he was um, superb. And aside from the fact that I think he actually prefers you two to me, but uh, he was, uh, he's a very, very fine man indeed. And oh. I want to salute him and anybody else who takes the trouble, or in other words, has so much time on their hands that they can listen to us each week. Oh, I mean, it sounds like he's got a he's a man of incredible taste, not just in the fashion world, but in the fact oh. that he prefers Finney and myself to you. Now, obviously, I work in radio <laughs> and we spend an absolute fortune doing market research trying to find out who's listening to our radio station. So um, dare I dare I ask for a sort of age bracket of this gentleman? Oh, he was quite young, I'd say. Okay. Um yeah, I'd say sort of like uh, well, it's hard because he'll be listening now, won't he? I mean, if yeah. I say if I say early thirties, it turns out he was like twenty-seven. He 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 dressed and looked like a man who was who had more mature tastes than his actual body. Okay, would would support. Do you know what I mean? He yeah. looked like a he looked like a mature man for his years. Wise and, beyond his years. I got yeah, you. I, I, and I reckon he's a he was, if this is for market research purposes. I reckon he'd be the perfect man to go to a restaurant with. He's, mm. He struck me as a man who'd be able to like choose fine wines, mm. make sure you got all the right starters. Yeah, you know, um, nibbles. He looked looked like a man who liked his nibbles. When there's posh things on the menu and you have to ask somebody how you pronounce it, so you don't embarrass you yourself it. in front of the waiter, he would help you out. Okay, I hear oh, you. Yeah, loud yeah. And clear. It, was, it was absolutely top, a top notch, top notch color. Lovely. Well, so, thank- and actually, actually, I saw some other, I saw some other amazing stuff. The only cricket I saw yesterday. Uh, because it was rained off, was this impromptu game of alley cricket. And I saw I saw a, a kid who was, must have been about nine years old who absolutely smashed it, like proper hit it, proper hard. You know, like all those videos you get of Indian two-year-olds yeah. who can play perfect cover drives on Twitter? Yeah, 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 yeah. One of them. It was magnificent. Well, I'm glad to hear it. The future's bright for English cricket. Um, now, if you are a listener of this podcast, and thank you very much for listening constantly, uh, you will have, of course, missed Stephen Finn last week, who was who couldn't be with us. Um, I did notice, Finney, that you did manage to find some time to feature on the No Balls podcast. It is, it, it, it's unbelievable, isn't it? I hope Manchester Originals realise that they have got the least dedicated, least loyal possible human being in their ranks. Do you care to explain yourself here, Finney? I, uh, I'd say it was more of a more of an infiltration into their camp to try and just pollute people's ears with um, with my voice so that they come and listen to our podcast instead. Okay. That's that was my thought process. Right. Um, I'm thinking of going back on next week as well to to do a similar sort of thing. You know. Well, right. I see. So you're you're basically an inside man. You're like uh, 
that film where Clive Owen builds a wall and hides inside the bank so that he can later rob it. So that's essentially what you're doing. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think it's important that we've got our ears to the ground to realise what our competitors are, are doing. And, and I saw it as a good opportunity to see that. They've also got some pretty fancy recording gear that the BBC have obviously given them. I mean, someone needs to step up and give us something because at the moment, Dan sounds like he's down the bottom of a well and, and I'm using... <laughs> And I'm using a pair of earpods or airpods um, <laughs> on my iPad. So yeah, these this this contraption they got out was very professional. So I think for us to take it to the next level, we probably need something like that. I think the most upsetting part of all of that is as taxpayers, I assume you both pay your taxes. In many ways, we bought their equipment for them. And I think that's the most upsetting. We 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 are buying our competitors' sound equipment. And that is that's the hardest pill of all to swallow in many ways. Wow. Well- no, you say, but now you mention it. See, if we use Finney as a kind of entryist, a kind of Trotskyite entryist, yeah. who can go in like semi undercover, as long as they're not listening to this, they'll never find out. Yeah. Maybe you could just, I mean, you're a large enough man to go in there wearing a large enough coat just to sort of pilfer the odd microphone. That's you know? true, actually. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. That's what I was mm. thinking. It was I sort of lure them in and then, and then, yeah, just take a microphone and then. Before you know it, I've got the whole sound deck, wires, headphones, the whole lot. Mm. So, so yeah, I'm working on it, boys. I promise you. I mean, actually, actually, you're, you're large enough to to just secrete both of them around your person. So we just take the whole, we take the whole shebang. Or what we, we have literally Hartley, steal have, Hartley and Cross. Steal Hartley and Cross. I've got a lovely basement here. I could kit it out nicely. <laughs> <laughs> we could every, every day so that so that the nobles listeners know they're safe. We'll t- we'll get them to have a photo with today's newspaper. That's so, right. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll slowly absorb their listenership. You know what? Yeah. Uh, good thinking, lads. Okay, Trojan horse, Finney. Keep up the good work. Right. I suppose we should move on to cricket at some point. Um, if you wanted to sum up being an England cricket fan. It was a moment during the test between England and India where we had bowled all morning, actually very well, but without taking a wicket. And then finally, Ollie Robinson bounced throw hit Sharma, had him caught at deep fine leg and took a wicket with us to lunch. And it was a beautiful moment. And you couldn't have wiped the smile off my face or so I thought. And within 30 seconds, the news came through that Joffre Archer sadly had a recurrence of his injury and is out for the year. If you were to sum up being an England fan, it's the fact that we finally took a wicket and 30 seconds later, we get hit with the bombshell that poor Joff is injured. And we'll talk about Joff in a bit, but let's talk about the test match. Um, obviously, I'm joking. Maybe the rain saved India. I, I mean, uh, saved England. I mean, look, India were favourites to win that test match by the end of the day. They really were. There was a beautiful moment when Stuart Broad finally took a wicket where you thought, okay, we're in here, but then they batted very well for the rest of the day. But it wasn't a done thing. India were certainly favourites, but it was not a done thing. But I I think certainly maybe England would have been happier to see the rain than India. Um, Where to begin, really? Let's start with Joe Root. And I mean, just he looks a class above anybody else in an England shirt at the moment. I saw a statistic that he is our top run scorer so far in this calendar year. He has scored just over 1,100 runs. Our second highest run scorer is Dom Sibley with 344. That is the golfing class we are talking about. Now, I know that the Stokes and the Butlers haven't played all the test matches, but there is no denying that Joe Root is just a cut above anybody else in that batting lineup at the minute. Uh, Finney, as somebody who spent a lot of time with Joe Root, I mean... How how good is he? Where does he rank in all the batsmen that you've played with and against? 
I, I think the proof is in the longevity and what he's done, isn't it? I think he's done it for a number of years where he's been the linchpin of that side and, and the, the side's pretty heavily relied on him to score runs. I think he enjoys that responsibility. I think he, he would like to be supported maybe a bit more than he is currently at the moment. But um, I think, yeah, in terms of leading from the front and being a, an outstanding batsman and one of the big four or five um, big batsmen in the world that, that are the talisman of their teams. Yeah, he, he's outstanding. There's no doubt that when you first saw him play, he was, he was very, very good and how hard he's worked and and everything that he puts in. When you see it firsthand, you can see why he is the best, best or one of the best players in the world. Yeah, and uh, Daniel, I mean, you, you've you seen more England greats than, than Finney and I, but I mean, not just because he looks about 12 years old, but... He still feels quite young to me in a way, Joe Root. I feel yes. like he's got so much ahead of him. If his appetite for the game remains and if he can cope with the stress of having to captain his batting lineup week in, week out, um, it feels like there's still lots of runs left in Joe Root and we might be seeing the best version of him right now that we've ever seen. Yeah, we might be. I mean, there's loads of things to unpack in that Root innings. Let's start with how he's slightly changed his technique, ever so slightly. Uh, he, was, he was used to, earlier on this year, he was tapping his bat on the crease as the bowler came in. He's got rid of that now. He's holding the bat up. With Joe Root, I always say you sort of look at this figure of eight thing that his hands do. That when he's in rhythm, his hands move in this extraordinary way that, that like, it's the singles. I know I sound like a terrible old wanker here, but it's a little single square of the wicket that he just picks up time and time again. Like you contrast him with, you know, poor old Dom Sibley. We love Dom Sibley, second highest run scorer for England this year. But he gets a half volley and he has no idea what to do with it. In fact, he's scared of the half volley. And there is no real sort of, there's my single into the offside shot. With Root, he had 70 off 90 balls on a pitch where no one except KL Rahul and for a while Jadeja were ever really comfortable. He's come in with next to no red ball practice. He's completely on top of his own game at the moment. He was smiling. He was cheerful. Heaven knows why, because I mean, it was a really difficult task, wasn't it? To, to handle that Indian side, having come off the back of a quite chastening loss to New Zealand, where they were, frankly, outplayed in every department. It was a beautiful 100. I mean, I was on commentary for, for when he got to his 100, and he got to it, a really good punch down the ground, really lovely straight drive. And it just, it was a, it was the perfect 100. I mean, I, there was nothing wrong with it. I would say it was one of the best innings I've seen him play, one of the best innings I've seen in a really long time. Everybody in the TMS box was kind of energised by him batting like that. Because when he does bat like that, he bats with joy. He bats with laughter. He bats with cheekiness. I mean, that's why I think, Toby, he feels so young, you know, because he just seems to have this joie de vivre. And we were a bit worried that he wouldn't have that. But, of course, being a miserableist, and who wouldn't be when you're just constantly bombarded with rain and, you know, the fast approaching end of your life and senescence is hurtling towards you at frightening speed. But, do you know, no single English batter, with the exception of Hasib, I mean, we're not counting him because he played three tests, has averaged over 40 since Joe Root made his debut. Only Joe Root. It's unbelievable, isn't it's it? Unbelievable. Now, it's unbelievable. What that tells you is a couple of things. Obviously, there's a serious problem with England's top order and middle order batting and has been for the last 10 years. The other thing it tells you, though, on a positive note, is that people's averages in England are suppressed. 
Now, Kay Williamson is a great, great player, but New Zealand produces the most runs per wicket at the moment. Australians, they play on these flat decks. You know, they're totally used to playing on. And averaging 50 is, is terrific still in Australia. But if you average 50 as an Australian, it's not the same as averaging 50 as an Englishman because you're playing against a juke ball in tricky conditions. He's up the top of the order. He comes in at 20 for two, I God knows how many times. Um, what he's achieved is truly staggering. And I don't think we totally appreciate it. He's, a, what is he now? 11 runs shy, I think, of Graham Gooch, becoming the second leading English run scorer. Talk about how long he can go on. Well, if he can keep motivating himself, he's, he's got five, six, seven years in him. Now, you looked at Alistair Cook and we thought that for a while. And eventually, the pressures and strains of it get too much. And being captain is doubly difficult. And the fact that he's carrying the batting is a really significant issue because no, look, no, no one's Bradman apart from Bradman. So he will fail at some point. He can't not. He can't go through a whole series getting 50s and 100 in every innings. He's a, he's a batter. He's going to fail. When he fails, where do England's runs come from? Without Stokes there at five, you know, Ollie Pope might come in and he might make all the difference. But what, what was slightly scared me about watching all that was just how important Root was for England to stay competitive despite the fact that they bowled their hearts out. The bowling unit was superb. Anderson was bowling at like 88 miles an hour at points. Mm, yeah. So, do you know, I've, I've, I've given you a very, a very tortured answer to what you're saying. But essentially what I'm saying is, God, Joe Root's brilliant. Oh, my God. It's only Joe Root that's brilliant with the back. Can someone please score some bloody runs? I like the fact that at one point in there, you apologised for sounding like an old wanker. Like, normally you sound different. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, everything you said. I mean, it's a really difficult one because I kind of don't want to just talk about how the rest of England's top order are crap. But then when you look at the test match and things to talk about, you kind of have to talk about how England's top order are a bit crap at the moment. Now, one point I do want to make here is for all the talk of, oh, they've played no first-class cricket. Well, Johnny Bairstow's not seen a red ball in about 10 years. And he came in and looked the second-best batsman in the team behind True. Joe Root. Um, before the New Zealand series, where actually we batted possibly worse than I've ever seen us bat in English conditions, actually a lot of that lineup had had a pretty good run of county cricket. So for all the talk of, oh, you know, how are they meant to score any runs when they've not played any Red Bull cricket? Well, we played a lot of Red Bull cricket before the New Zealand test and batted terribly. Which apart, does... from, apart, from, apart from Rory Burns, you see, apart yeah. from Rory Burns. And I think, I think, you know, it's horses for courses here. Rory Burns loves to bat. And when he played seven games and he's got eight fifties and a hundred or whatever it was, then he came out and got an 80 odd and he got 130 odd, didn't he? Now, it's, it's a really significant problem. I'm fascinated to know what Finney thinks about this. In days gone by, you used to have county three-day and four-day county cricket was being played throughout the season. So that meant that if a couple of guys were out of form or injured, then the selectors could take a look at the county scene and go, all right, well, he's doing pretty well. We'll bring him in. There's no red ball cricket. And there, won't, there hasn't been any for a few weeks. And there won't be throughout this test series until we get right to the very end. The flip side of that is that in the really olden days, before you were born, Toby, you lucky bastard, in the mid-80s, there was so much county cricket that the selectors would go, oh, he's got Norton 28 in the first test. We'll drop him because, you know, Mark Benson got 100 last week. So you've got, this, you've got the, the, the flip side of it is random, crazy selection. But 
Finney, as a as a, if you're trying to get into the test side, how do you do it when you can't prove to the selectors that you're a good red ball cricketer? Yeah, I think <clears throat> there's a couple of things on that. I think temperament comes into it a lot, and I think that's why Rory Burns is um, favoured at the moment is his ability to control his temperament and deal with low scores because as a top order batsman. In England, you are going to deal with or have to deal with low scores and the scrutiny that comes with that. Um, but I think even after guys have played county cricket in April and May, the conditions are generally so extreme for medium pace seam bowling that it's not, it's not a replication of anything that you would get in international test match cricket. So actually by just of people playing in those games you're you're not actually building a confidence against the particular type of bowling that you're going to go and face in test match cricket everyone knows that it's completely different when you're facing guys who bowl 75 miles an hour sometimes with the keeper up to the stumps and stuff um in county cricket um not saying everyone bowls that pace but i'd say generally the most effective guys in april is that um and then you're never going to face that in a test match um so it's no wonder that it takes a slight adjustment for people once they go into test match cricket um so yeah i think a, a bit of the problem does definitely lie with the schedule and the way that uh, there's no real or not many games in july august or any at all in july and august when the weather's hot and the wickets should be harder um and i think that that plays a part in it too i looked at the fact that we played a lot of red ball cricket before the new zealand test and then still batted really badly and I looked at the fact that Johnny Bairstow had played no rebel cricket, but looked in an amazing touch in the 100. And looked like, actually, I know he didn't get two massive scores, but he looked actually better than most in this first test match. Red ball, white ball, 100, 20, 20, 50 overs, four day, five day, whatever. As a cricketer, ultimately, if you're bowling, you know when you're in good rhythm. And as a batsman, you know when you're hitting it well. Dross Butler didn't look like he was hitting it very well recently in the 100 and also in the 2020 games. He was a bit scratchy in a couple of innings. He didn't look his usual self when he took that into the test match. Do we get too obsessed with white ball, red ball? And is it just about playing well and feeling in good form and feeling a good rhythm? Again, I think there's an element of both in there. I think you definitely can take form from or, or the feeling of playing or bowling well from any format of cricket into another format of cricket. So I always, and it's slightly different for a bowler because you actually, your motions and what you're trying to do become more precise when you're playing one day cricket. So you actually hone in on things more when you're playing one day cricket than when you do when you're playing red ball cricket, because each ball is an event in a, 100 ball game or a T20 game and you have to be precise in order to execute that so I've always found that white ball cricket actually narrows my mind and my focus so that then when it comes to playing red ball cricket it's actually a bit easier to just bowl to a general plan and have a general um, idea of what you're doing over the course of a day's play um, whereas for a batsman I think it's slightly different in the sense that the attitude and the way that you do instinctively push at balls or attack balls, I think that that is something that it's hard to get yourself out the shift of or out the swing of sometimes. Um, but I also do think there's an element of if you've played well in white ball cricket, in 100 ball cricket, whatever it might be, that the confidence and the belief that you have in yourself, you can then carry through. So I think it's no doubt that Johnny played really well in the 100 and he's quite notoriously a confidence player 
um, that he then went into the test match and looked good. Concentration, though, is something and keeping doing the same thing over and over again, which is the difference between test match batting and what all of us amateurs never get the opportunity to do. We never play multi-day cricket. And there were some signs in that England setup, which is that it's not that they're not good batters. It's not that they can't hit the ball really well. Johnny Bairstow, as you say, two lovely little cameos. Dom Sibley, his 28 and 120 odd balls was potentially invaluable. But he did get out playing a shot he would never, ever play. I mean, he never looks like playing a cover drive. And he suddenly, out of nowhere, attempted a cover drive to the wrong ball on the arm, got an inside edge and got out. Johnny Bairstow suddenly whacked the ball straight down the throat and beat backward square leg straight to him, playing essentially a one-day shot. Now, that, what I, I guess I'd like to understand, Billy, is batters at test level have to bat really to be effective for long periods of time that they never get the opportunity to do in white ball cricket, certainly not in 100, certainly not in T20, occasionally in 50 overs if you're up near the top of the order you might face, what, 150 balls. Potentially, you could face like 150 balls. It's, it's quite rare, but you might. In test matches, what you want are those guys to go on and face 180, 200 balls. That's what wins you test matches. Do you have to kind of play it in order to create that brain muscle memory? You know, so that the great you know story about Tendulkar, that he put away the cover drive. He was never going to play it in this uh, when he was out in Australia. To continue not to play that, you have to sort of be playing red ball cricket, don't you? It's an interesting point, and it, there's definitely, definitely merit in it. But I just don't see with the schedule the way it is how we're ever going to now find room to play red ball cricket in the middle of the summer. I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, so I don't know how you can find a way of getting guys cricket in order to train that muscle memory how you can convince guys to go and play in those games instead of playing in the 100 for, for the excitement, for the buzz of the tournament, for the money. Like a, it's, it's such a fine balance that they have to try and find in order to make people prepared and ready to play test match cricket. And, and I'm quite glad that I'm not the person who has to do that. <laughs> well, and, 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 <laughs> to be and honest. We, we do need to make the point we made a few weeks ago that I, I take your point down, but the fact is that Everyone else has a crazy schedule as well. The Kiwis have a mad schedule and they're the best test team in the world. The fact is the modern batsman has to learn to adjust to the different formats, whether they have the time to do it or not. That is now a requirement of the modern game if you're going to play in all three formats. I do want to move on, but I do want to mention one thing about Johnny Bairstow, who, yes, it was a one-day shot, but he absolutely smoked it. Yeah, we he moosed I mean, it. He, he absolutely smashed it. it. He could not have picked out Jadeja anymore. And I thought Siraj giving him a send-off was bang out of order. You're allowed to send him off if you bounce someone out and they top-edge it to deep fine leg. You're allowed to give someone a send-off if you knock their off stub out the ground. You are not allowed to give someone a send-off if they have just nearly hit your ball so hard that there was flames coming off the back of it. The most undeserved send-off of all time. In fact, it reminded me of a game once. I played, uh, I played in a game against a South African touring side when I was about 18 for my school. And I was getting carted all around the place by these province cricketers. And I decided, I don't know why, on this very hard flat pitch, I'm going to bounce this guy who's on about 90 or 50. So I bounced this guy and he hit me so far. It, it's still rising to this day. It went over our school library. But, <laughs> and I was the only person on this pitch that had spotted it. 
as he played the pull shot, his le- his trailing legs swung round and he knocked the bail off the stumps. Yay! So I and I've gone absolutely berserk. Nobody else, including the batsman, knows what's happened, and I've given him a huge send off whilst the ball disappears over the library. <laughs> And it was only afterwards I apologised. <laughs> what did he, you say? <laughs> I think I just went, shouted in his face and pointed to the pavilion. Meanwhile, he doesn't know what's happening. He's, he's so confused. He's watching this ball disappear over the library. My mates think I'm having a breakdown, a long overdue one at that. And I point at the bell on the floor and then the rest of the team joins in the celebration. And I, it reminded me of Siraj giving Johnny Bairstow that, that send off there. It was a low point and I'd like to apologise to that man if he's listening. Well, a couple of things on that. Yes, you do need to apologise. <laughs> Two, Siraj lit up that test. His, his ridiculous, this is a fantastic duel. That he, he just he just decided to go after people, and and he created duels out of nowhere. And I absolutely adored every minute of it. I loved Dom simply just turning his back on him every time he tried. And this is just a little tip for Zero Ducks listeners, and indeed possibly for you, Stephen, and for Toby, on the subject of hit wickets, if you want to see what terrible cheating bastards Australian umpires are, <laughs> go and put in, search in YouTube for weirdest hit wicket not given holding West Indies uh, against Australia. Australia v West Indies. Just, just type in a combination of that. You go and take a look at it. There are two occasions in which Jeff Lawson treads on his stump so badly that his leg stump goes back like a hillbilly's teeth. It actually just like goes so <laughs> crooked, right? And it's and, and, and holding's like pointing at the stumps, going, um, that, that's surely out, isn't it? And the square Australian square leg umpire just walks in very calmly, puts the stump back, puts the bales back, and walks back. And it happens <laughs> twice in the space of about an over. And the Aussie umpires say, and the Aussie Aussie commentators say, well, it's uh, very strange. Uh, not, not seen anything quite like that. I think you have, mate. I think you've seen cheating Australian umpires for many, many years because you're the a old, cheating Australian. The old home umpires are quite. There's some wonderful statistics oh. about Pakistan batsmen never being given out LBW at home in their careers and things like that. Uh, you mentioned in 1970, 71, 1971, England got zero LBWs <laughs> in the entire six test series. Zero. That is. That is incredible. Can you imagine how angry Siraj would have got? I'll tell you what, if ever we saw Siraj with his appealing and Dick Weller from Sri Lanka in the same side, it would be an absolute bloodbath. Um, Finney, you don't strike me as a send-offer, but the Red Mist must have descended at times. Are there any send-offs you regret in your career? Or send-offs you're proud of in your career? Um, yeah, I... <laughs> that's a yes. <laughs> that's, what's that noise he's just made there? That's fantastic. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm not going to name the player, but I, I, we were playing in a pre-season game against Oxford University in 2000 and something. And I'd got, like, I think it was after we'd lost in the World Cup quarterfinal to Bangladesh or whatever it was and and then came back to England, didn't get picked on the West Indies Test Match Tour that um, that pre-season, that March and April, which is like the biggest hammer blowers in England player because that's one of the best tours, especially because they just put you up in Barbados and Antigua for about a month and a half, which is uh, wonderful. And playing this pre-season game against Oxford Uni Middlesex, classic, we're like 70 for eight or something. It might even have been 60 for eight or something just after lunch. 
against the students and I walk out to bat and this kid comes and gets like right up in my grill and he goes this fucking bloke doesn't want to be here let's fucking send him back and I was like I've just walked out for a friendly game of university UCCE cricket. Um, I'm a bit disappointed because I've been left out of the test match squad and I'm being chirped and abused by this fucking 18-year-old university student. And I was like, I didn't say anything. I was just like, that's interesting. Turned to the slips. They were all going like, yeah, he's a bit like that, this bloke. And, And so I was like, right, okay, I've got your number. I mean, I don't like to talk about it again got 48 not out or something like that in the game, you know, just <laughs> yeah. one, one of those things, bailed the team out of trouble, got us up to 200, but I don't like talking about that nah. sort of stuff that much. No, 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 no um, never do, never do. <laughs> so then, actually, there's, there's two parts of this story. One is related to um, the send-off, and then the other one is is another, is, is related to something else. And um, he came out to bat in the first innings and because he'd abused quite a few of the boys, the boys were, were on him and fancied it. Like you don't, usually it's very friendly, but this boat just got in people's grills. So he walks out to bat and you've got 11 professional cricketers, like just in his grill. Like he had a back of the bat sticker on the back of his bat. You got boys from slip saying, Oh, did your mum give you the money to go and buy those from the shops and things like <laughs> things like that to him. Um, and then I think, it was like just as he was shaping up, this couple walked across the pitch, and like, and because the parks in university at, at Oxford, yeah, yeah. it's the literally the middle of a park. So this couple are walking like across the pitch. The girl, <laughs> like, the girl, like, starts like getting picked up by the bloke. They have a full blown like passionate snog, like rolling <laughs> round on the ground, rolling. Rolling round on the ground in the middle of the wicket, like, and everyone's just stood there looking, thinking, This is just completely and utterly strange. Um, Tim Murta, Tim Murta throws the bloke the ball, the bloke then bowls the ball, like, he bowls the ball. This is a game of first class cricket. He, he bowls the ball, it sort of dribbles out towards the slips, and then this couple just holding hands, just keep cracking on through the pitch and just walk off the other side. In the meantime, like this kid who was in people's grills in when they were bowling is like kicking off at the umpire saying, he can't do that. He's disrupting my rhythm with the bat and things like this. And everyone was just like, oh, just shut up, mate. Get, like, it's a laugh. Like, get over it. So he gets nicked off. I think the very next ball, he gets nicked <laughs> off to slip. And and I don't know why. I was like, I'm, I'm going to control myself, but I couldn't help it. And I was like, fuck off back to your uni books <laughs> classic professional cricketer yeah. to a student yeah um and then and then the next day i um i got called in by the umpires and the umpires were like look uh we don't want to do you points for this because you know we know that he was sledging you and there's a backstory to it but you're just going to have to go and apologize to him um and say that you're sorry so like I have to go like tail between my legs across to this university student's dressing room on the other half of the pavilion and go, can I speak to to this bloke, please? And he comes out and I'm like, look, mate, sorry about yesterday. Everyone got a bit fired up. And then he gave me a lecture about the bloody, about the spirit of cricket. He said, well, you know, <laughs> I just, you know, I don't mind. It's all fun and games. You know, I, I don't mind people sledging me out there on the pitch. You know, it's all part and parcel, but, when people use language like that, it's just not a very good thing, is it? And, and 
this kid's 18, lecturing me. I was like 26. I played, like, I played a majority of my international cricket by that stage. And, and you know, I'm being lectured about the spirit of cricket by this jumped up little twat from Oxford University. It was fucking atrocious. His name wasn't Boris, was it? <laughs> that is, there is so many layers oh. to that story. But I, the whole time you're telling it, I just kept thinking, Finney should have been an Antigua. <laughs> Trust me, I was thinking that too. There's a lot to, un- there's a lot to unpack. There. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, sorry, I waffled on. I don't. No, that's one of the on best before, cricket stories just... I've ever heard in my life. Wonderful thing is that Finney thinks that he's protected this guy's identity, but a very quick search on Cricket Archive for Finney's highest scores because 48 not out is going to be up there. It's, gonna, it's, it's one of 11. 11. And we and know he's a bowler, and he's down the order, and he nicked and, off. And Tim, and Tim Merton <laughs> nicked him off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> it's not the most difficult game of cricketing guess who I've ever played in my life. Well, I'm really glad I asked that question, Freddie, because that's one of the best stories I've ever heard. I really enjoyed that. Well, if you're the people that were, were necking off in that game, please get in touch. Zero ducks given. Oh, uh, please it was extraordinary. Touch. Honestly, I've never seen anything like it in my life. And then it was just the most Tim Merton thing for him to throw the ball to the bloke and say, yeah, mate, have a bowl in the middle of a first-class game of cricket. <laughs> well, people get very excited around Tim Murta's 72-mile-an-hour away swingers and they couldn't resist. They and, and then they, they won't be the first. They are not the first. They won't be the last. Uh, well, you know, let's move on to, you know, to the 100, where no such thing, of course, would occur. Although I think there was a streaker on a pitch recently in a game of the 100. Um, I, do you know what? There's too much to unpack in the 100. There's only one thing that I want to talk about because we are running out of time. We've got about 10 minutes left. And um, it is one man who may never be able to kiss a woman again. And that is Alex Hales after possibly the funniest thing I've ever seen uh, in a very long time on a cricket pitch. Not once, but twice Alex Hales was hit in the particulars, but very, very, very hard as well. Reese Topley was the bowler. Um, I'll tell you what, if Reese Topley wasn't in England's uh, white ball plans, he certainly is now. Owen Morgan will love Reese Topley after he twice managed to hit Alex Hales in the, in the, in the gonads. Um, if you've not seen the video, it's a thing of beauty. It was all over social media. Alex Hales, I have to say, put out a very, very funny tweet today. Um, he said, appreciate all the messages of concern after last night. It's great to know that my well-being was at the forefront of everyone's thoughts and that no one found it funny in the slightest. Unfortunately, it's worst case scenario today with minimal swelling and maximal pain. It was truly hilarious. It was the funniest thing I've seen since Ben Stokes also got hit in that area and shouted, oh no, in the dick, as loudly as he could down the stump (laughs) microphone, (laughs) Uh, which was also one of my favorite moments of all time. Um, We've all played in games and we've seen it happen. I don't know if I'm too tall for the standard that I play at, but I've never been hit there. I've been hit on the inside and outside fire a lot, but uh, I think the the, the dodgy pitches and the low standard of cricket that I play, I'm too tall for anyone to get the ball up there. But and also, I've got a very small target to hit. I was going. I was going to uh, say it's a, yeah, it's, it's it's a very precise heat seeking missile. Yeah, you'd have to it? you'd yeah. have to be a hell of a bowler to to hit that. I tell you, um, now Daniel Norcross in your many years of yes. playing cricket, yeah, because also, I mean, I, I use a modern day box, but I imagine back in your day, you just put like I don't know a bit of ham down there or something. <laughs> That's, right, that's exactly right. I mean, but I was at public school, so it was in Berry Cohan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, I actually do have an unfortunate hit in the ball story. Not that I, I hadn't actually prepared this, but this, this is a sad tale of complete delusion. Um, so when I was uh, 17, I think it was, 
uh, I'd, I'd sort of fallen in love with a dungaree-wearing intellectual called Imogen. And, um, <laughs> this is I'd, how all I'd, great stories start, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was 1986. There was a lot of dungarees going on at the time. Uh, it's, it's perfectly understandable. They're very hard to get into dungarees. So uh, she was a lovely, lovely woman, Imogen. Highly intelligent. Really, really fancy. And, uh, you know, I used to do the usual rubbish, you know, chat about T.S. Eliot and attempt to woo her and that kind of uh, drivel. But I, it, I was made captain in the second eleven. I thought, this is how I'm going to prove to her what kind of a man I am, what kind of incredible acting I've got, like Brearley-esque, you know, polymath who can both, you know, quote bits of Greek and marshal my men. Because in my crazy mind, I thought there's nothing a 17-year-old dungaree-wearing Imogen would like more than to see the power of my charisma as I send fielders hither and yon and use my colossal brain to work out how to, you know, unpick whatever it was, Wick Gift Second Eleven. I can't remember what school it was. And uh, anyway, so I'm out there, and they've got this particularly good batter. He's he's, he's smashing it to all parts, which is perfect for me now because now I'm thinking right, I have to use my brain. So I thought I know what we're going to do. We're going to bring on the part-time off-spin of somebody who's absolutely rubbish, and I'm <laughs> going to get under his skin and I'm going to get in close and I'm going to chirp him because of course you're fearless at that age. And, uh, and I kept looking over on the bank to see if she was watching as I waved my arms from side to side. And, uh, and she wasn't really. She, her head was in a book, but she was looking up every now and then. <laughs> uh, anyway, part-time off-spinner comes on. First ball, half-tracker, smashes it straight into my unprotected gonads <laughs> at square leg. And I unleashed a, a, a pitch, of, a squealy pitch, so high that, that dogs from miles around, even their eardrums burst throughout Dulwich and its environs. And she looked up then, I can tell you. <laughs> and um, do you know what? Nothing really came in that relationship there after the humiliation was, was too great for us all. We just called it a draw. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's sadly, I, I often think this about seeing men hitting the testicles because we've all had it, that it predates anything. Even cavemen recognised that if one of their fellow cavemen got hit in the testicles and hit the deck, I bet they all laughed. Even all laughed, thousands yeah. of years ago, they understood that that is definitely funny. Even even back then, it, I think it's the most basic sense of humour that goes back before the woolly mammoth. It's an absolutely incredible thing. Um, but also, I do, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm glad, Daniel, that you found love. Um, but if Catherine does ever see sense and finally leave, um, and I would, I would love to see Daniel Norcross on dating apps because he said a brilliant sentence in there that was, I did all the classic things, talk about T.S. Eliot and woo her. Yes, I mean, I'd like to see Daniel Norcross on Tinder attempting to, to woo women with, with T.S. Eliot quotes. You, you really, you are going to be in a shock if you ever get back into the dating scene, Daniel Norcross. Uh, oh, you, you've played more cricket than, than the rest of us. You must have uh, worn a few in that area and also delivered a few in that area, I guess. Yeah, both. It gives me great pleasure when I when I hit someone there. You just stand there laughing at them. <laughs> <laughs> On all fours, wheezing and making strange noises. And you're just a bit like, <laughs> that's quite funny. Um, I've heard horror stories about people getting um, their nether region trapped in a split box. Mm. So if you only wear one box, it sort yeah. of splits and then closes again. And Oy. depending on what you've got stuck in between it at the time, it's... Um, it can be pretty painful, but I'm you a double too, box don't man. You? Yeah. I was going to say you. Wear I mean, it's too, strange you? that you know that. But... No, you said it. You said it. You said it on the cricket social. <laughs> uh, it was really strange. It's really strange that you told the entire nation that. 
That's yeah. fine. I'm and, comfortable with that. I, I'm comfortable. How does it with, work? Um, how does it work? So is there a really much much larger box? Because you're like, yeah, like that's the one that goes boxes. underneath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, fair play for wearing two. My one falls off. <laughs> <laughs> no. So what you do is you've got, you've got, you've got your hockey style box. The one that's, it's like that. I call it the ring tickler because it, it sort of tickles your bum while you, when you put it on. Got yeah. Um, I think I dated one of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, and then you have just a normal straight box, which would be your old school classic box that you put on top of the ring tickler. And it gives you a double layer of protection. So if one is going to split, the one that takes the impact splits, but you've still got the second layer of protection underneath it. So I think it makes absolute sense. Yeah, well, Alex Hales, if he didn't already, will definitely be investing in uh, in a couple of boxes in the very near future. But if you haven't seen that video yet, uh, then I thoroughly recommend you going to check it out. Um, that is pretty much all we've got time for. Uh, very quickly, I do want to say genuinely commiserations. It's so sad about Joffre Archer. He's such an exciting cricketer. He's box office. We all want to see Joffre Archer back on a cricket pitch as soon as possible. I know Finney's been there with injuries as well. Uh, but really sad news when that came out, not just because it would have been lovely to see him down under on Australian pitches, but he's the sort of cricketer that you want to watch. So uh, yeah, Joffre, uh, get well soon from everybody at Zero Ducks Given. Uh, we have to mention Bangladesh spanking the Aussies. I mean, absolutely spanking the Aussies, beating them 4-1 in their five-match t- five T20 series. And it's unbelievable. Bowling Australia are all out for 62. I mean, they've been absolutely battering them. It has been a thing of beauty. So well done, Bangladesh. Uh, the 2020 World Cup, I tell you what, Bangladesh are a dark horse, but then I said that about Turkey and the Euros in the football. <laughs> they were absolutely, <laughs> absolutely useless. So, so who knows? But Bangladesh, wonderful to see what they've been doing to the Aussies. Australia were bowled out in 13.4 overs. And I saw a tweet today, says that is the fewest number of overs that a side has been bowled out in an international match. And by which I mean, you know, the, the, the bigger nations, I'm not talking like Maldives against Mauritania or something, for something like 100 years. It's something crazy like that. It's one of the most lovely things in the world when Australia gets skilled. Mm. I think everybody's, I think everybody's high point in their life who who, who are fans of really low scores was when Australia found themselves twenty five for nine against South Africa. Do you remember some years back? Mm. Annoyingly, they scraped to about forty six, forty seven. But to be bowled out in thirteen point four overs, that takes some doing. Yeah, it really does. Does and of, of course, obviously, Stuart Broad eight for eight for fifteen as well was a pretty magical. It's just nice yes. seeing Aussies scoring not many. Runs for lots of wickets. Um, and speaking of the Aussies getting beat, before I go, it was this week in 2005 that England beat Australia in what is in my life in the greatest test match I've ever seen at Edgebaston in 2005. Of course, Stephen Harmison got out Michael Kasperovic, strangled down the leg side. Technically, it shouldn't have been out. I couldn't care less. Thank God there was no DRS back then. Um, I remember it vividly because it was a done thing. Stephen Harmison had bowled Michael Clark late the night before. And so we just needed to pick up a couple of tail enders on the final day. I was amazed that I even saw a full crowd there. I thought, why are you going to bother? This game's going to be over in two overs. And then Shane Warne and Brett Lee first eked away at the total. And then Shane Warne did the weirdest hit wicket. We talked about hit wickets earlier. The strangest hit wicket I've ever seen to this day, where for no reason at all, he just flicked a leg around the corner and knocked the bail off. And then Michael Kasperovic, as I mentioned, gloved off down the leg side. But I watched it at home by myself. I, I turned on the TV in the morning. Everyone was out my house. And I thought, oh, I'll watch us take the two wickets. Brilliant. Important win. Equalised the series. And then I watched the greatest session of cricket I'll probably 
ever see. Uh, Daniel Norcross, where were you when England won that test against mm-hmm. Edgbaston? Uh, bizarrely, I can tell you exactly where I was. Um, it's amazing. You keep asking me these questions and I can actually answer them. Normally, <laughs> I, have to, I have to think about it. Um, unbelievably, a very good friend of mine had, had uh, foolishly decided to get married in America. And then they had a, what was called a wedding lunch back in England. And um, the wedding lunch was due at about it was like 1, one thirty. And I thought, like you, I was going to get to see the game reach its conclusion at home and then drive off. It was like somewhere Henley or Marla or something. And, uh, and of course, it didn't. I saw, saw Warren get out, and that was great. Uh, and I thought it was going to happen, and it didn't happen, and it didn't happen. And then I had to get in the car, and Catherine said, got to get in the car, we've got to get in the car, we've got to go to a wedding lunch. Oh, wedding lunch, who gives a damn about wedding lunch? We've got an important game of bloody cricket going on. No, no. Off we go, driving a car, and I've just given up on it. And I've given up on it. I'm so in despair because it would have been 2 0 to Australia. And normally that wouldn't matter. But because we were genuinely good that year, mm. I thought, you're ruining, this is ruining summer. Mm. Why do Australians, 16 years they've been beating us, and it's happening again even when we're dead good. And I, I was starting to cry. And then I heard it on the radio. I think it was Jim Maxwell. And I heard the wicket go down. And my entire point of reference, as I'm on the motorway on the M4, like just went down to a tiny dot. And I just banging my hands on the steering wheel and Catherine had to manhandle the steering wheel and take <laughs> us into the hard shoulder while I screamed a bit like KP does on commentary in the hundreds. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, was banging on the steering wheel and hitting the horn a few times. And, and it was, it was perilous, nearly died. Uh, but, <laughs> but would, do you know what? It would have been the best time to it. go. It would have been worth it. It would. Uh, I would have been, I would have died a happy man, which I probably he... won't. Where, where were you, Finney? I'm trying to work out. You would have been playing sort of 2005. You'd have been starting. You'd have been at Middlesex then. That was my first class. Yeah, first class debut year, 2005. Um, I I can't remember exactly was I was. Um, in fact, I couldn't tell you. I know we watched some of it in the common room at school um, when we got back to um, when we got back to school in September. I think like, I remember watching it on the. Um, yeah, on like a TV that they wheeled into the into the common room because it was Channel Four then, wasn't it? Yeah. But yeah, I I'm actually I couldn't tell you where I watched that exact Test match. Sorry. No, oh, well I'm sorry. Why, ha- why do why do why do you hate <laughs> English cricket so much? So, yeah. So, what what's with yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I I can't I cannot answer that question i'm afraid do you know do you know what do you know what the more the more i hear from finney the more i think that oxford student was right to talk to him about the spirit of cricket i think that's i think that's what we've all learned here do you know what the more i hear about this oxford student the more i like him and on that note chaps (laughs) i'll I'll see you next week uh lovely to see you both see you next week have a good one finney go and infiltrate that that rival podcast in the meantime have a good one chaps Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.